0: Hello and welcome to Transpleader RPG. We are an all transgender person of color led dark fantasy actual play channel featuring homebrew stories that center non-colonial, anti-orientalist worldbuilding and campaigns about queerness, grief, hope, and the power of love. Godkiller: First Blood is a 16-part podcast miniseries that follows a mythic, violent, and transformative tale about a single mortal rising against the challenges of the divine. Tonight, your god is me, Connie Chong, and my godkiller is C Thomas. First Blood is a dark fantasy series that explores themes that may be triggering for some listeners. Content warnings for this episode include fantasy violence, gore, body horror, classism, poverty, Religious Imagery, Immolation and Fire, Death of Loved Ones, Grief, Trauma, PTSD and Panic Attacks, Heights, Falling, Vast and Unknowable Depths, Alcohol and Drug Use, and Brief References to Child Labor and Cannibalism. Episode 2, Baptism. The cathedral smells like smoke and death. What remains of Jiang is a crumbled heap of charcoal on the floor before the altar. Their axe, still mid-air from their swing, clatters to the ground with a loud and final clang rune, you watch it fall in slow motion. The brutal, brilliant curve of the axe head, the black leather wrapped around the polished handle, the many dings and dents and scratches on the steel that you've become so familiar with from a thousand hours sparring with Jiang. Jiang who taught you how to fight. Jiang who taught you how to fear, how to be brave, how to hope. Jiang, your mentor, Your father in so many ways you never had. Your friend now just Ash. And then Freya says, you motherfucker! And she charges forward. Her twin daggers strike like the fangs of a viper. Freya had taught you this move before, or at least she tried. You'd always been too slow, too in your head to get it right. And now you see it, the perfect arc of violence as she crests through the air, the unerring trajectory of both daggers down toward the devil's clavicle, toward his heart. See, so he even have a heart. And then he snaps and Freya erupts into flame. She smashes into his chest anyway, but her daggers break on contact. They just snap and she bounces onto the ground as though she'd run head first into a concrete pillar, and Freya is shouting in pain, just like Xiang was, and you watch as she rolls, trying to put out this fire, but it doesn't go, and the more she resists, the harder and hotter it burns, and now the smell of Freya's burning flesh mixes in with the residue from Xiang. and now everyone in this cathedral is screaming, every single heretic, their leader is dead, their second-in-command is on fire, and chaos rules all. Rune, what do you do?
1: It's so empty. This moment of terror is so empty. Because they're living two minutes in the past still. They haven't even begun to understand what it means to turn someone into ash. To take a life that fast. To end the existence of the person who gave their literal life force years and years and years to protect them is is ash how can that be that can't be it's not it's this is a bad dream it has to be a bad dream and rune is stuck like a stone pillar completely stuck horrified, staring at the handle of that axe, waiting for Jiang to pick it up. We're waiting for him to come back and he'll he'll pick it up in just a second. He just dropped it. He's he's gonna pick it up. He will. He's gonna pick it up. He wouldn't leave me. He wouldn't leave me. This is the mantra that plays in Rune's head as they stand entirely still.
0: Before your eyes, Freya crumbles into ash and her twin daggers clatter onto the ground several dozen feet away from Xiang's. And you are not the only heretic here who is frozen in shock. As several heretics are, are screaming and shouting and like t- talking at each other, pointing, just like, pure panic and chaos setting in, others are frozen. We see Opal behind you, like, she's shaking, right? Like, those two wisps framing her face, trembling. Uh, We see Uriel, who had lost his arm in a mining accident, now wears a prosthetic. Like, they're also standing there, just trembling. Uh, We see Phylan, a server at the Iron Fiddle, right, who who had served there for 35-some years. We see his beard quivering, his eyes wide, tears brimming against his pupils, but not quite falling in, in abject shock. But then Aaliyah. It is Aaliyah. It is always Aaliyah. Raises her voice. She draws her blade, a rapier, and she raises her throat and she screams hoarse at the top of her lungs. Heretics! We need to fight back. If we don't fight back, their deaths will have been for nothing. Come on now, everyone. And the heretics, your friends, your family, they heed Aliyah's call, their jaws set, they draw their weapons, they shake their heads, they raise their voices, they surge forward as a powerful united front all around you, Aaliyah taking the charge, Nahar roaring with their full voice, Briar's head low as she thrusts forward with a spear, Griffin running forward, Ellery brandishing a whip, Flyin with his mace, Clarion, Uriel, Emrys, even Braith, the field medic, The pacifist who had taught you everything you knew about bandaging a wound who once told you that words cut deeper than blades. Even Braith is running forward, dagger drawn, screaming, shouting, tears flying from his face. Even Opal, now barely older than you, so moody, so guarded, so shy. Even Opal surges past you, toward the light of the devil limbed by fire, toward the light of the devil's shadow, even opal, and as the heretics rush forward, weapons drawn, war cries brimming in their throats, the devil throws his head back and he laughs. (laughs) And on that laugh, one, By one, by one, by one, every single heretic lights on fire. And then the screaming comes and you can't tell any of their screams apart. The cathedral is on fire. You stand in the middle of this immolating heresy. The devil is at the altar. His shadow is behind him. He is laughing and laughing and laughing. And finally, He lowers his head, and that's when the last scream stops, and the last body crumbles into ash. Bronwyn's, the biggest, a silhouette of pure black charcoal just crumbling to the ground. And The devil, still chuckling, wipes a tear from the corner of his eye, a blood-red tear, and flicks it off his finger. And where that tear lands, a rose made of crimson glass blooms. Oh, oh, you mortals are so arrogant, so full of hubris. To think that you could think your deaths could be painless could be easy that i wouldn't want my twist of the knife my final little bit of fun well that was fun and i do think insect would pair nicely with burnt heretic flesh Oof, or maybe just soot at this point but that does beg the question what should I have for dessert? Any ideas? No. No, no, no. No.
1: No. 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 Bronwyn Opal. Yeah, yeah. No, it's a bad, it's a bad dream. It's a bad. It's a bad dream. This isn't how it's supposed to go. We were supposed to change everything. We were supposed, to, we were supposed to change everything. It's not how this is supposed to go. No, this is. We were, we were gonna save. We we're gonna save people. we were gonna save people.
0: Get up. Get up. Please get up. And Rune, this entire time, the devil hadn't looked at you. Not once. But now, he turns his fire-red gaze upon you, and for the first time since meeting him, because he wants you to, you understand, on a visceral level, the expression that's playing across his face. Disappointment. So this is what the heretics have to offer in the end a coward oof seriously what a catastrophic disappointment look at you you're quaking in your boots i would have hoped for a less pathetic final morsel And for the first time since descending from the ceiling, the devil takes a step forward. His perfect foot crests off the altar and lands on the surface of the dais toward you, Vroon. And there it is again, as his foot lands that sensation of falling, of descending rapidly and quickly within yourself, the walls of memory rising up around you like quicksand and your life flashes before your eyes. What do we see? It's such a small life. It's so small
1: and so sad. A brief moment of being born in a dirty room with dirty rags. A flash of hands passing blankets over their body. Hands teaching them how to hold an axe before a fork. They see themselves grow, skinned knees when they take their first fall when a rope snaps, caught by a net. They see potato stews, so many small things, books with all the pages torn out in a school with no teacher. Such small, insignificant moments. A woman with a beautiful gold breastplate and solid, stony eyes walking out of a mine tunnel, their father walking in and never walking out. Xiang, on the dais in front of Athamos, the unsighing toil, giving, tithing for every miner who died in that accident. Because everyone knew it wasn't an accident he gave for all of them, years off his life. How many must he have given? That moment shines bright, like a lit match in Rune's eyes, in the back of their mind. The single moment of fire in their memory, the single moment where they decided maybe they wouldn't have such a small, sad life. The years of training, all of it flitting past them like soot passing through their hands, and they see something so small compared to this, compared to a shadow 60 feet, 600 feet tall, so small next to the life of a god.
0: Oh, I love this part. The part before the death, when your sad little life flashes before your eyes. What did you see, Rune? Nothing worth anything? What have you even done with yourself? What did they even die for?
1: Rune doesn't know how to answer, but they look up, they finally tear their eyes away from those piles of soot, where they beg the ghosts to get back into their bodies and be braver than them, light the way for them. And they finally look the devil in his face, in his perfectly beautiful, horrible face, Cold, stone colored eyes meeting his, and their fingers tremble as they move toward their sword, every link in that chain quivering but unbroken. I will not break. <gasps>
0: <laughs> oh, good, good, good! I've been wanting a little bit of fun. You know, if all of this was over too soon, I mean, what's the joy in that? Pick up your blades, pick them up, raise them! Come on, show me your form. <laughs> Thrust your little needles at me. Let's see how much vigor you have. And room draws,
1: and they draw so hard that their knuckles shake bone white, and the chain makes this kind of sick music on the floor as their hands rattle, as they square their shoulders and they understand that they are about to die. They know. They know what comes next. They know that the second that they take a step forward to fight, that they will turn to ash just like everyone else did. But a little too late, the bravery comes to them, but it does come and they want to make him pay. They want him to hurt like they hurt. I decide when I die. And they throw their sword uh, out and the chain goes like down their forearm as it repels forward and forward and forward and forward. Almost like an arrow that they throw, driving
0: true, straight and strong. So, (laughs) Vrune, you don't have access to divine moves yet. (laughs) You're not there. You are not there. So instead of attempting to inflict violence, I'm going to ask you to... Are you acting impulsively or not? I'll act impulsively. Okay. So when you act impulsively by throwing that sword forward, describe the emotion that drives you, and then answer one of those two questions.
1: I have chosen the origin, the wronged, for Rune. And the emotion that drives them is vengeance. And I will answer the advantage that I seize, is that for all his gloating, the devil was right. This shouldn't have worked. And the advantage is surprise. Not so much that Rune
0: is attacking him, but that it hurts when they do. Okay, Uh, I'll tell you something you didn't notice until now and then I will answer the other question, which is what trouble hits you hard and fast? The blade shoots forward like an arrow toward him. Uh, And where are you aiming for on his body? His beautiful, horrible, perfect face. (laughs) One side of it, yeah. Okay, so the sword Uh, It just, it shoots past his face. At first it almost looks like he missed, right? It kind of shoots past his face. And as it shoots past his face, Rune
1: grabs onto the end of the chain and pulls it. So the end of the blade, almost like a whip, like wobbles and strikes against the side of him. Ooh. So it's like they intentionally missed and then like they whip the chain and pull it to slash him across the face from the side as they pull the sword back to them.
0: Yeah, I think as the the first shot goes, quote unquote, like wide, right, the devil lets out a, oh, come on, your form leaves much to be desired, (laughs) any fighter worth her salt can, and then you whip the chain and the sword clangs against the side of his face, and unlike Freya's daggers, the blade doesn't break. It doesn't shatter against his face. It just kind of, it does bounce off, but it doesn't break. And there's a noise like clanging. Like instead of hitting flesh, your sword hits steel. It's like, it sings. There's like a noise. And the devil blinks. And then he bleeds. A bright gold wound splits open like the gill on a fish uh, across his left cheek and he starts bleeding gold down the light brown fresco tile of his skin, down his beautiful neck, down his clavicle and disappearing underneath the hem of that white robe. He blinks. He looks kind of off to the left side, lifts up a perfect hand and touches the gold blood. Huh. And I'm now gonna tell you the thing you didn't notice until now. This ten-foot-tall, beautiful angel of a devil is not his true form. And now you start to see a spark of that true form brimming up in response to this impossible injury you have dealt him. His eyes, that those crimson flames, burn. They burn bright, 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 and the whites of his eyes turn black both of them. Like the shadow that was behind him spreads out and fills it, and it's just like two pits of fire burning within an endless abyss. And the shadow peels itself off of the cathedral wall behind him and wraps itself around him. And where the shadow cuts in, uh, we see that beautiful fresco-like tile turn to this pure black, nothingness, like he turns into just a silhouette, an abyss cut into the form of a man. Uh, But the wings, the feathery ones, and the bat ones remain intact. Uh, And those eyes continue to burn red, red, red. And when he opens his mouth, his mouth is pure red, right? Like as he speaks, you just sort of see fire sort of flapping open and closed, open and closed. And you also see, I think, uh, cracking open underneath his sternum, like a pure red flame. (laughs) It just kind of erupts upward, right? Uh, And like burns where his heart, question mark, should be. But it's kind of like seeing a flame in the pit of the mouth of a cave. Uh, There it is, burning inside his rib. Oh, well, that's impossible. Who taught you to do that? Hmm? You little mortal insect. (laughs) He
1: did and Rune does not relent. Now that their body has been forced into action, they move tirelessly. The same kind of strike upward that Freya was doing when she came down at the devil, Rune mirrors like a, like a perfect mirage half a step behind her, like a ghost of her guiding their hand up and down as they have moved in. Suddenly they're so, so close to him as they bring that other half of the sword down and the one like chain with the whip swings out behind him and Rune brings it over the top of their head to come like another slash down and they do
0: not relent. So I'm gonna now answer the question: What trouble hits you hard and fast? Uh-oh. As as you are arched in the air with your swords swinging down, this like impossible adrenaline brimming through your body on the on the precipice of death. The now shadow-wrapped devil. There are parts of his body that aren't covered in the shadow. They're like ribbons of a light brown skin peering past this wrapping of void across him. Right. He looks like. Layered. Uh, he just casually, with a kind of like disdain and disgust, he backhands you. And you just you fly through the air and you crater into the western wall, and <laughs> dust erupts upward, and like bits of marble uh start like uh, littering onto the ground. I need you to mark force strain. Okay. Uh-huh. So this is going to be combined, I didn't hit you with strain earlier, I should have. This is going to be combined emotional toll and also this physical backhand. uh uh-huh. Ow. So you have one, one strain pip left. Uh-huh. As
1: Rune craters into the back wall and their shoulders slump down, their fists still shaking around the hilts of their sword, bruised, bloody, so small and so insignificant. Compared to this God, this beast, this devil, the devil, and Rune laying in that heap of— uh, uh, I will not break. You don't get to decide where I die.
0: You don't get to decide where I die. <sighs> <laughs> Is that all you have? <laughs> what <laughs> sloppy work. <sighs> oh, come on. Jiang was light years ahead of you. So was Reyna and Freya and Aaliyah. <laughs> Even Opal had potential. All I see here is desperation. This is what the heretics have to offer me. This impudent, arrogant little bug. <sighs> and as Rune
1: opens their eyes and, and shakes their head, after having cratered the back wall of this cathedral, I think like blood spilling down over one of their eyes. As they look up, try to blink the blood out of it, something else starts to layer itself over this moment, like a dream come to life. In one side of Rune's vision, everything completely red, soaked with blood. And, and they're, there they are, they're standing there. Like they're on a street, a normal street, a quiet street except for all the people walking and there they are. There's Opo, there's Braith, Aaliyah, Reyna, Freya. Bronwyn, all of them walking, all of them s- standing there, and ruin blinks trying to get the blood out of their face, and then, and then I think there's, uh, there's s- screaming, they can hear, they can still hear the screaming now, rising, rising to a fever pitch behind their brain, and huh, it's like everything inside them is hot and they can see where it's coming from. The fire in the center of the devil's chest. That thing, that's where the screaming is coming from. That's where the screaming is coming from. They need it to stop. They can't listen to it anymore. And Rune pushes themselves up off the ground like a wraith. Like a <laughs> like a devil come to life crawling up out of hell. They stand and with one final jab, they pull back and plunge that sword deep into the fire as hard as they can. And they look up. <sighs> I decide when
0: I die. You're aiming for the fire at the center of his chest in his shadow form. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we are now going to trigger the move, the crucible move. Kill a god. So when you confront a god in their true form, the devil is showing you his true form now. It's this shadow wrapped angelic divinity. And you exploit their downfall to kill them. Hmm. See, tell me, what do you think the devil's downfall is? I think the devil's
1: downfall, arrogance. That he makes the deals, he doesn't just he, he's not an equal part of the deal. He writes the contract. He's the devil. He creates the foundation for the deal. He's not an equal participant. There's no part of him that is an equal participant. He is the conductor of all of it.
0: You know what? What I had written down was hubris. So I think that's pretty on the money. How do you slay him? As Rune's sword plunges
1: into his chest, that fire explodes around both of them. That immolation wraps both of them up in this whirlwind of fire and flame and screaming ghosts. Every single ghost that the devil has ever consumed roars out of his body. Every single lost soul that the devil has eaten drives Rune's fist deeper and deeper and deeper into the center of his chest until their hand is gripping his heart. And Rune on fire? Both of them on fire. It doesn't even hurt. I decide when I die,
0: and now I say we
1: both go, and
0: all the way in. For a fragment of a second, you are face to face. He's 10 feet tall, but you've launched yourself up to their torso, and now you're face to face. For a fraction of a second, on their expression, you see an emotion light up in the devil's eyes. An emotion you don't understand. Uh, an emotion that is incomprehensible to you in that moment of adrenaline, and fear, and rage, and desperation. And paired with that emotion, he says, <laughs> See you in hell. Ooh! And the devil explodes in a column of flame. And that shadow flays itself off of him. It propagates like a black nuclear cloud across the cathedral walls behind you and the windows shatter and the pews shatter and the altar shatters and you are flung backward, a dozen feet, two dozen feet, and you you smash into the ground, into the carpet, your back skidding across broken stained glass, your skin burning, your hair burning, and you tumble once, twice, three times before you crunch to a halt at the base of a pew. And I need you to roll that 2d6. It's a flat roll. Seven to nine is a hit. Six or below is a miss. 10 plus is a strong hit. You're gonna use physical dice? Okay, go for it. Hmm.
1: Seven. Six and a one. High and low.
0: That is a hit. That is a hit. So on a hit, they seize something vital from you as well. Name what vital part of yourself you lose.
1: Oh, fuck. I lose my community. Yeah. My connections.
0: My bonds. My family. Yep. Yes. Finally, that last part of the move, regardless of your role, you seize a semblance of their power. We'll resolve what that means in a second, because, Rune, you black out. In the darkness, in the shadow, in the twilight between life and death, you dream. You dream of a street. Yes, that street. A busy street. A city street. Somewhere in the cradle, somewhere you've never been and yet have always known a street as long as time a street as wide as space a street hedged in by buildings the height of the sky a street overflowing with people there are people here room so many people hundreds thousands, millions of people walking down this infinite road, this endless boulevard. There are people of every gender, every size, every age, so many people. More people than you've ever known in your entire life, and then some. But somehow this street doesn't feel cramped, it also doesn't feel too big, it feels just right just right for this many people as it always has been as it is as it always will be you rune are on the sidewalk you're not in the street walking with the people you're simply observing them the act of watching them is almost calming actually there's something reassuring about this street you've never been here but you've always known it, and maybe someday you will come here. Rune, as you watch these people mill, a realization starts to dawn on you. Every single person on this street is walking in the same direction. They are always moving from one end of the street toward the other. And as this realization sinks in, The ebb and flow of these people begins to slow down until every single infinite person comes to a halt. And you realize why. A shadow falls over the street the size of a star and then rounding the corner, floating several dozen feet above the people in the street is the skeleton of a massive headless serpent. It swims through the air toward the frozen people coming from the direction they're headed. And it begins to approach you on the sidewalk. And then the people in the street all start to turn around and they run. They begin to run back the way they came and terror and panic is starting to set in and the headless snake god is swimming through the air and a sensation of sorrow, Vrune, wells up inside your bones, a sensation of sorrow and grief and guilt and doom and rage and you gasp awake. You gasp awake from the dream you've had every single night for the last seven years. You are in your bedroom, which is barely larger than a closet. And you are staring at the ceiling. You're covered in sweat. It's your father's birthday. Ezra would be turning 60. And this is the last off day you'll have before your shift in the mines starts tomorrow. Tell us, what do you look like? Seven years later after the dead zone. And what have you been up to? I think we see
1: Rune from behind, silhouetted by a very, very small, thin pillar of light that comes through the only window into their room. It's a concrete slab with a mattress on the floor. a light from somewhere outside, kind of cold and white that pulls down on their exposed back. You can see burn scars crawling up their scapula, across their shoulders, down their spine, and curving underneath their pectoral muscles, these bright, shining pink scars from top surgery. They got a good trade on it. They like it. Enrune shifts, more muscular now, older now. They shift on the mattress, pulling themselves up, sitting, and from the back we can see that their brown hair has gotten a little bit longer, still kind of wavy now, slick with sweat. As we pull around, we can see some of the hair at the front of their face has turned a little bit white. Streaks of it now painted like frost framing their face. Their eyes are closed, they're Rubbing their temple, the calluses on their hand, still firm. Everything in here is kind of cold and dark. And Rune moves with the same same energy. Cold and dark. They're still working as a heretic. Rekja needed all the help that she could get after they lost 21. Rune goes out on missions doesn't really do what they're told most of the time. They work in the mines for nine months out of the year. They tithe when they have to. They pull themselves up out of bed and let the blankets kind of fall loosely around their ankles, all bitten with holes from moths. They kind of stagger over to a small bathroom and the light turns on, blinks a few times. This low buzz starts to hum. And as the camera pans around, I see the rune looking at themselves in the mirror as they blink their eyes open, still sweaty. I see that one of their eyes is that cold stone gray, like iron, like a sword's blade. And the other is bright red, bright, burning crimson. They stare at themselves in the mirror. They kind of shuffle with their shirt pull out a box of cigarettes, same brand. Coins own everything, really. Any food that gets shipped out this far, coin brand. Cigarettes. They pull one out, unlit, and they press it to the tip of their finger. They don't even watch. And as the cigarette butt is pressed there, it begins to burn against their finger until it's lit. And pulls away and takes a low drag and pushes the smoke
0: against the mirror until they can't see themselves. You smoke inside the bathroom until there is a quick rap at the door, a kind of brisk rat-tat-tat that you know comes from your grandmother, a Grandma Penny, and her voice is a bit muffled through the wood of the door. Uh, Rune! Rune! Her voice kind of drops to a volume that only you'd be able to hear it. Because you know that in your tiny, cramped little one bedroom apartment, noise travels. So she's really trying to get it so only you can hear in this bathroom. Rune? There are two people from the Citadel here. They're asking after you.
1: What the fuck? And completely opposed to the way that Grandma Penny was trying to be quiet and whisper through the door, Rune flings it open, causing it to kind of smash against the opposite wall and make a rattling clattering sound as the smoke starts to like billow out into the hallway from the cigarette that they had just lit. And they go, what the fuck are you talking about? Citadel here, why? And you Why did you let them in? But put that cigarette out, Rune. What did I tell you about smoking in the bathroom? I'm not smoking in the bathroom,
0: they say, obviously, smoking in the bathroom. (laughs) Rune, well, I don't really know. They just sort of came in, they said they were from the Citadel, and, and... I hope I'm not interrupting anything. And sitting before you, at your crappy little kitchen table, are two people you've never met before in your life, but both of whom you recognize immediately. The first person is the speaker of the above, servant of the witness, the tongue of truth and her champion, Sir Eos. The speaker in her immaculate white robes has turned to regard you surrounded by smoke, rune, and her eyes are as black and sharp as obsidian. And the speaker says, in a voice like gilded ivory, Hello. You must be Rune. I am Antigone, speaker of The Witness, and I am here looking for the devil. God Killer First Blood is performed by Connie Chong and C. Thomas. Follow Connie on Twitter and TikTok at by Connie Chong and C. on Twitter at CPlaysRPG. To play your very own campaign of Godkiller and support our show, pre-order Godkiller First Blood Edition on itch.io today. Transplaner RPG is made possible by your Patreon contributions and sponsors who believe in our mission to tell great stories and lift up our community. Sponsors like explaintrade.com. Explain Trade is a negotiation skills consultancy whose director, Dimitri Opines on Twitter, has asked us to say, and I quote, Please sign up for Transplaner's Patreon because at some point people will figure out he's a cisgender white guy giving all his money to trans and queer art, and then he'll be too broke to sponsor us. We love you, Dimitri, and heed his words. Sign up for our Patreon today at patreon.com slash First Blood is also sponsored by Start Playing Games, the largest online platform for players to find tabletop role-playing campaigns of your very own. Join a table that fits your schedule today at startplaying.games. We are also sponsored by Magpie Games, the independent TTRPG publisher behind such incredible works as Masks a New Generation, Avatar Legends, Urban Shadows, Bluebeard's Bride, and much, much more. Check out their amazing selection of Powered by the Apocalypse games at magpiegames.com. Finally, we're proud to be sponsored by Roll. Roll is an online RPG platform that serves as a video-first alternative to complex virtual tabletops. Build, modify, and play your very own games of Godkiller on Roll today at Playroll.com.